So good to be together. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 18. Uh, and today we really have, uh, as, we, as we wrap up Acts 18, it's, it's really three different uh, vignettes, or maybe call them scenes. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be starting in verse 12, but first we, we, we see uh, uh, God's promise realized from, from last week's passage, and then, and then Paul in the second vignette uh, makes a vow, but then there's another promise he won't make, and then finally uh, we see this young up-and-coming preacher uh, who, who has taught some things he needs to be taught. So I'm just going to jump right into this, starting in verse 12 of Acts 18. But when, uh, but when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing, or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them out from the tribunal, and they all seized Sothenes, they all seized Sothenes the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Seneca, uh, he had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea... He went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. After spending time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of uh, Galatia and Phyriga, uh, uh, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, uh, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So if you weren't with us last week, the end of our passage, uh, there's a, a vision that Paul has, and Jesus speaks to him. He says in, in verse 9 of chapter 18, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So evidently, fear was welling up in Paul. He was afraid to speak because he's been down this road before, right? He speaks, he gets attacked, sometimes arrested, many times beaten. Um, but God promised him in, in this vision. He says, no, I'm with you, Paul. I want you to continue to speak. Do not be silent. Be bold. 
uh, and, and no one will attack you to harm you, right? The, the wording there is, is pretty, uh, pretty important because he's, he's been attacked plenty of times to be harmed before, but this attack that would come would be different. And, and there's a promise, right? There, there are a lot of people in this city, Paul, who are going to believe. A lot, there will be a lot of Corinthian believers. You, you, I need, I, I'm calling you to speak to these people. So we come off the heels of that promise, and we're introduced to uh, this proconsul, Galio. Uh, and so just think uh, governor, right? He's, he's the Roman governor. He's got uh, the, the, the Roman empire in mind in, in everything that, that he is doing here. Uh, the Corinthian Jews seem to assume that this new governor will side with them in this case brought up against Paul. So they rise up against Paul, right? This is the attack that, that was going to come. Um, and he was brought before this judicial bench. And you can, uh, my guess is we can all probably imagine uh, Roman architecture, right? So, so this is, is big. This platform is like seven, eight feet high. There are marble steps leading up to uh, the judicial bench, and, and it was surrounded. It would be surrounded by this, this superstructure that, um, man, that it would, be, it would be a sight to see. It would be intimidating. I, I'm sure you've probably been to court, or maybe you haven't. I don't know. Maybe that's insulting to say you've been to court. <laughs> I have been to court. Uh, uh, I may or may not have thrown myself the mercy of the court over some parking violations and a couple speeding tickets where I was unaware of the speed limit. Um, that is a joke. I was fully aware, and I chose the speed. So nothing like a judicial, coming before a judicial bench. But, but you walk into a courtroom if you've never been, and, and just the, the architecture is... Uh, it, it, it's intimidating, or at least it was to me. The judge has this giant bench, and then, and then next to it, much lower, is the witness stand, right? There's this, uh, this kind of fence that partitions the rest of the court from, from the judge. The bailiff is standing there. So you are, I think you're supposed to feel small. I, I think you are supposed to realize that you are at the mercy of this, this judge and of the entire judicial system. So Paul is brought up, right? The, the charges uh, are brought against him in verse 13, right? They're, they're saying that this guy, this Paul, is, is talking people into worshiping God. And it's contrary to the law. But there's ambiguity here in the way Luke writes this. We, we don't know if he's saying it's contrary to Roman law or contrary to Jewish law, right? So contrary to Roman law, he, he could be saying that, that, uh, that there is this, this religion that, that is against our law, uh, Galileo. Or, or maybe he's saying that, that, uh, that this, this religion is not allowed under Roman law. Or perhaps... They're saying that this is against our Jewish law. So Luke doesn't give us exactly what's going on there. He doesn't give us the details, but I want to help you uh, understand, I guess, the possibilities. Then we see in verse 14, Paul's ready. Right? He's ready to defend himself. He's, his mouth is just about uh, to, to open and, and go into why he has broken no law here. And Paul is great at defending himself. And maybe, uh, maybe in your family, growing up as a kid, maybe that was you. Or, or maybe it was your sibling. But you, you always had a defense ready at a moment's notice. Even if you weren't involved in whatever the problem was, you were ready to defend yourself. You had the gift of arguing, so much so that your parents said, you should be a lawyer someday. And, and that, 
that might not have actually been a compliment, no offense to any lawyers. Um, but, but we know from Paul, he, he's great at, at coming up with sound, logical arguments for, for the gospel, right? So we, we know that he would have been ready um, with an opening argument that I'm sure was laid out in his mind. It was on the tip of his tongue, but he didn't even get the chance. And he didn't need to because Galeo, the, the, the governor, he cut him off. And remember, remember this promise that, that God gave. Right? There's going to be an attack, but not, not to harm you. It's not going to come to fruition. So this, this attack that had been mounted against Paul, it's thwarted by God through this governor. In verse, 14, verse 15, the governor doesn't care. I don't, I don't care about this case, right? If, if, this were, if this were some like little crime, then I'd care, right? Or, or some heinous crime, then I would care. But, but I'm not going to deal with this, right? I, I've heard you out. I've heard you're, you're concerned with his teaching, but I'm not, right? I, you're talking about names. You're talking about events that, that may or may not have happened like 20 years ago with this, with this Jesus guy. This is about your loss, so you deal with it, and I'm done with this matter. So he, he kicks them out. He kicks them out of the tribunal. He says, get out of here. So God made good on his promise to Paul, right? Certainly, this was a big deal for Paul. God said, you're going to be attacked, but not to your harm. And God was right there protecting him. But I don't think this was only good news for Paul. Right? This verdict was a win for Christians in Corinth, or even those considering the, the gospel message. Right, That their faith was declared by the governor. Their faith didn't break Roman laws. And, and essentially, in this decision, uh, he classified the, this, this group of Christians as, as like a, a, a connected to Judaism, like they're a, a subsect of Judaism. So they had the, the same legal rights to worship God as the Jews did. And, and we know, we actually know a lot about um, Galileo from, uh, from secular historians. He did not like the Jews. I mean, you, you wanna talk anti-Semitic. Um, man, th- th- he was not a fan of the Jews at all. We know even a little bit later in, in Roman history, not too far off of, of when this happened, but um, there'd be great persecution of the Christians by Rome, but, but not right now. God was establishing his church in Corinth. God was not only making good on his promise to Paul to keep him from harm, but man, God's provision here went way beyond, way beyond what Paul could have imagined. Right? Not only did, did Paul not have to defend himself, he didn't get attacked um, physically, um, but man, even in this outcome. And it just made me think all week about, man, the, the times when, when I was so worked up about something, right? And I was praying fervently for something, or, or maybe, I was, maybe I wasn't even praying. Maybe I was just worked up in my own flesh and, and worried about it. And, and, and then God provided, and he, he didn't just barely provide, right? He, he provided in abundance. Man, God is, is so kind to us that he goes way beyond sometimes what, what we could have even dreamed. We don't even think to ask what he provides for us. Well, this, uh, this man named Sosthenes, he was not protected in the same way. And it's a little difficult to know in verse 17 who the, the they all is um, that sees Sosthenes. Uh, they might have been Jews that were mad at him. Uh, he was the, the newer synagogue ruler. You might remember from last week, Crispus, former synagogue ruler, 
came to Christ. So now here's Sothenes, and, and maybe he was the one that came up with the charge against Paul, and it didn't work. It blew up in their face. So perhaps they blamed him, took out their aggression on him. But also, it, it could have been the Greeks that attacked him. We, we, we don't know, right? The, the, they may have uh, taken out their anti-Semitism on this Jewish man. We also wonder, is this the same Sothenes uh, that's, that's mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.1? 1, 1? Uh, it was a common name. Uh, by the time Paul writes Corinthians, whoever this Sosthenes is, it, it's a brother in Christ. Uh, so perhaps the Jewish people, they, they knew they lost Crispus because he went to follow Jesus. Maybe they, they suspected that this man was thinking about Jesus too, um, and they beat him up. We're not sure, but, but one thing that this confirms for us is that Paul was in serious danger, right? There, there was an attack mounted against him, and, and they did mean to harm him, but God very clearly protected him from this attack so that it would do him no harm. So that's, that's scene one. We move on to scene two, uh, starting in verse 18. And this is part travel log. Like if you're a geography geek, this is, this is your spot, right? There's, there's, there's not a ton of detail here, but this is like 1,500 miles of travel that, that Paul covers in, in uh, that Luke covers in just a short bit here. Um, but also we see this, this vow that he will make and then a vow that, that he will not make uh, to the people in Ephesus. So Paul stays for an undisclosed amount of time, and then, then he moves on. He takes with him we mentioned last week Priscilla and Aquila, and we'll look at them more in the third scene. But they, they go on to Ephesus. We find out in 1 Corinthians 16, I think 16.9 maybe, um, that the, the, the church meets in their house. Um, so when it, it, Paul here gets a haircut. And it's connected to a vow, we're told. Uh, and I'm sure if you've read your Bible some, if you think vow, you think haircut, you probably go back to Judges and think of Samson who lived uh, under a Nazarite vow. Right? His parents were told, no haircut, uh, no wine, no strong drink, no touching dead bodies, um, which that sounds like a good rule for all of us. Um, number six. Uh, number six gives us more info, though, about what, uh, what's involved in an, a Nazarite vow, um, that, that there would be a sacrifice after the vow was complete, which involved a, a one-year-old uh, spotless lamb. And, and then also that hair that you'd been growing would be shaved off, and, and it too would be offered. It would be burned in the offering. So was this a Nazarite vow? Totally possible. We, we, don't, we don't know for sure, but we do know two very likely reasons that, that a Jewish person would make a vow like this. The first is uh, thanking God for his provision, which certainly would fit with what we've just seen in Acts 18 with Paul and, and really leading or everything before that as well. So he could have been thanking God for provision, for protection, for fruitful ministry. I mean, there are so many people that have come to know Christ, that have been baptized in him, that have joined in these new churches, leaders raised up. Or the second option, it could be a vow asking God for future provision and blessing in his upcoming travels, in, in what we call his third missionary journey. So we don't know for sure, but Paul makes this vow. And, and, and we don't even know, like, did he, did he do the haircut at the beginning of the vow, because that was a thing, or did he do it at the end of the vow? We don't know when this comes, but, but, um, but he, uh, he would not make a vow, though, when it came to the people in Ephesus. 
uh, verses 19 through 21, Paul, he'd been ministering in Ephesus and he reasoned in the synagogue as he did. Um, people came to know Christ. They, they, they grew with this deep, deep love, this affection for Paul who had taught them uh, the ways of Jesus. And they're begging him, don't leave, Paul, stay with us, don't leave. And, and he, he turns down that request. Um, but he told them he would love to come back, right? And I'm quite sure he meant this. He said, I would love to come back and see them. But he clarifies, if God wills, right? If the Lord wills. And if you've been a part of a church for any amount of time, uh, you probably have met a Christian that, that says something like, if the Lord wills or, or Lord willing, man, almost at the end of every paragraph, right? They, they say it as much as I say, um. Uh, th this phrase isn't, it's not a magical phrase and, and, then, and then we're covered. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a fine thing to say, but, but saying it doesn't matter as much as our heart having this posture, right? That we are bowing before the Lord and his will, his purposes, his plans. Uh, we're pretty good at thinking that we have control. Uh, we know what is coming, or at least we believe we do. And we're generally convinced that we can handle most of what is coming in a given week, month, or, or year. Um, but you know what it's like to have one of those weeks where, where nothing goes the way you thought that it would. And, and I don't even necessarily mean bad things happen, just nothing's happening the, the way that you kind of mentally mapped out your day or your week. And, and even if you're not a planner, right, even if you're just total go-with-the-flow person, um, you have assumptions about what is coming up in a week. So, so you start your week, and, and everything at work is different. Maybe some people in the office are, are sick, or a project comes out of nowhere, or something else gets delayed. Uh, you, have, you have things outside of work, right? They, they were on your calendar that you were looking forward to, and, and they got canceled, or you had something come up so you couldn't make it. And, and then even at home, um, with your roommates or your family, and the week is just, it, it goes so differently than what you had thought when, when you started out on, on, on Sunday or Monday. We think we know how a day will go or a week will go. And yes, we admit we don't know minute by minute what is going to happen, but, but we have this general flow in our minds uh, only to have all that go out the window. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Right? We, we can make all kinds of plans, and, and, and there might be wisdom in that, right? Good strategic plans, but it is what God has purpose that will happen. Uh, James 4.15 uh, is on the screen here in a moment. And actually, I'm going to start a couple of verses back uh, in verse 13, which won't be on there. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And then verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Right? There are uh, times, obviously, in the book of Acts where God gives someone a vision, right? some pretty specific details. God just did that with Paul. I, I think back to Cornelius you know, when he's told that, hey, there's this, this Simon Peter. He's living with uh, Simon the Tanner by the sea. You need to go send for him and, and, and bring him to you, and, and he's going he's gonna to tell you about me. 
Um, and so they're given these specific instructions. And, and it's easy to read those stories and go, man, wouldn't that be nice? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't that be great if, if God just, I don't know, maybe gave you a dream every night, like, okay, here's tomorrow, or here's kind of what's going to happen this year. But that wasn't the norm in Acts, right, for the apostles or, or, or the other Christians. Right? That happens sometimes, but most of the time. It was just step by step, day by day, often in really, really hard circumstances, not knowing what was coming up around the next bend. And Paul, he wants to come back. He wants to see these people that he loves, that he's poured into. He wants to see them, but in humility, he recognizes that his plans might not be what the Lord wills. Right? You remember back to our first scene with Paul. He thought he knew what was going to happen with this uprising. God was going to protect him, but, but he, he thought he was going to have to make a defense. Um, and, and that was not how the Lord willed it. God was making good on his promise to save Paul from harm in the way that God had planned. And, and I know some of you are, man, you're planners. And that, that is a good, good thing, right? And go the other way too, but, but it is, it is a, a gift. You, you've been a planner since kindergarten, right? There, there's never been a kindergartner as organized as you. By third grade, like you, you knew about AP classes and you were mapping out what you needed to get into to college and grad school on the playground. You, you didn't make friends based on like which peers you like. You based, you based it on what their parents did for work so you could use those connections like 15 years <laughs> down the road. Now, I'm making fun of that, but plans are not bad, right? Plans are, are not a bad thing, but we have to ask ourselves as believers, do I submit all of this to the Lord? Right? In, in humility, do we come before him and, and confess, not my will, but your will be done? And, and I know in my adult life as a believer, I've made, there are a couple major decisions that, that I can think of that when, when the decision was made, the ball was rolling and, and impossible to stop at that point, I realized, did I really bring this before the Lord? Like, yeah, maybe I said some flippant prayer because I knew I was supposed to and it was just kind of habit, but did I, really, did I really ask the Lord about this? And God was gracious me, to me in those times, but man, not, not a wise way to live, not a, a God-glorifying way to live. Well, as, as Paul says, it'd be much better for us to, to live, whether we say it out loud or not, if the Lord wills. And that can be an easy thing to say about ourselves. But man, so much harder to say about people that we love, right? Parents, grandparents, it's easy to say, Lord, willing about your own life, but, but so much harder for, for your kids or your grandkids or, or maybe, maybe it's your sibling or, or your spouse, that you find yourself needing to say that to you. And they're going through hard, hard things. I mean, they're just, they're just being put through the ringer. It is hard to say if the Lord wills about those who love, but they truly are the Lord's, just as you are the Lord's. So making plans, setting goals is fine. It is wise. Some of you are, are gifted. You're wired that way. Uh, uh, a very fair critique of our church is that we need to be more that way um, in, in this year. Um, so it's not that we cannot make plans, but in humility, do we bow those plans? Do we hold every plans, every plan that we have just with open hands before the Lord? So is that the attitude of your heart? Are there any plans that, that you do not want God to interfere with? 
Right? Maybe, maybe say, Lord, you, you, you can be Lord over this and this and this and that and that, but, but not this. I, don't, I just don't ever want to have to move or, 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 or I don't want to, I want to get this job or, or whatever it is. What, what are we not giving to the Lord? So we come to our final scene in chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 24. We meet this man named Apollos, and he is, he is gifted. He is a, a, a talented, talented young man. He's from Alexandria. Um, and in some ways, you could think of Alexandria as similar to Athens um, as far as uh, education, uh, thought. Um, they're, they're, they're just pumping out the leading thinkers uh, of that time. Uh, the library in Alexandria apparently was just breathtaking. It was massive. Um, so this is a place that was known for its education, its appreciation of philosophy. And this is the environment that Apollos comes out of. Uh, we know, Luke tells us, he's an eloquent speaker, right? And, and that same thing can't be said of, of Paul. Paul was brilliant. He carefully crafted his arguments uh, that, that the Christ was Jesus. But even Paul says, hey, I didn't, I didn't come to you in eloquent speech. But, but Apollos was. He was smooth. I don't mean that in a, in a slimy way. Like he, he was just, he was great to listen to. And Luke says that he knew the scriptures, right? He'd been, he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. He knew about Jesus. He taught about Jesus. He was passionate in his proclamation of Jesus. But there's this gap in his knowledge. And, and all of us have gaps, right? All of us have much to learn. I, uh, uh, the church I grew up in, uh, there's a Bible professor in that church who's since retired. Uh, this is not Ron Frost. Uh, it's, a, it's another professor. And he, his bread and butter, he just loved to teach the Book of Romans and did that for decades. And after he'd retired, I'd, I got together with him a couple different times. I just, just wanted to pick his brain on a few different things. And I, I remember the last time we got together, um, before we got into it, he was just telling me what he was learning in Romans. And I'm sitting there going, John. <laughs> you taught it for like 30 years. And intellectually, I understand, yes, there's more for John to learn about Romans. But it, it really caught me off guard in that moment. just reminded me, man, we all have so much to learn, right? Like we, we need to come to God's word so humbly. So Apollos, he, he knew of the baptism of John, but, but he didn't know. He didn't seem to know about the, the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, certainly he knew about the Holy Spirit. He knew the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, but it seems that he was not aware of Pentecost and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. He didn't, he didn't know the, the ministry to each and every believer by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's our helper, our, our teacher. Uh, so verse 26, um, he, he's preaching. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila are there, and like everyone else, they're just loving what they're hearing from him. I mean, he is, he's checking off just box after box after box, right, from the scriptures, right? He, he understood repentance. He, he understood the, the virgin birth. He understood the necessity of the cross, the resurrection, the, the ascension, but, but he didn't know. Uh, he didn't know what happened at, at Pentecost, right? He didn't know the work of the Spirit's life in, in, the, in, in every Christ follower, and something needed to be done. So Priscilla and Aquila, they pull him aside, and I think that they demonstrate just so much uh, wisdom here uh, in how they approach him. They wait for an opportunity 
right, away from the crowds that, that were following Apollos, that, that wanted to talk more to him after he spoke, I'm sure. Um, and, and maybe that they, they were concerned that, that if they said something publicly, then this would discredit him before people, and, and yet they, they could see he just needed a little bit of help. Uh, certainly they were concerned uh, that, that the gospel would be clearly taught and that people uh, would have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. But it's also safe to say that they were concerned for this young, gifted teacher. Right? They wanted him to grow, and they see the Lord's hand in, in his gifting. Right? The, the skills, the, the abilities that God had given him as a teacher was Evidence, so they want to help him to continue to grow in in how the Lord had had gifted him to communicate the word to the people. So they pull him aside, um, and and they help him understand the, the way of God more accurately. So Priscilla and Aquila they they taught him more accurately God's word, and they did this with great care, with uh, with great concern and, and love and class. Um, now, does this mean that we always have to? pull someone aside in a situation like this. Uh, it might remind you if, you, if you're thinking like, man, when does Jesus talk about that? Matthew 18, in, in Confronted Sin, this kind of sounds similar to that in pulling a, a brother or sister uh, aside. There's, uh, there's echoes of Matthew 18 in here, at least in my brain. I'm not sure that what Priscilla and Aquila did is a rule, but I think it is a, a really good practice. I think it is a, a great way to love uh, a brother or sister in Christ. And this, this last scene here, I, I do, uh, man, I, I love the picture that it gives us, right? Because this is what we want in the body of Christ. We want to see everyone participating in the body of Christ. The American church is a, is a funny thing. Um, you, can, you can just come here, uh, and not just our church, but any church. You, you can come and, and just consume, right? Uh, we, we, uh, we're used to the, the people that are ministering being the people that are on stage, right? Or, or maybe think of the, the greeters at the doors or, or when there's a church that has a prayer team. Like we, we think of those being the people that are using their gifts and yet that's not what scripture says. We, we wanna see the whole body contributing, right? Both men and women contributing to the body of Christ in, in the ways that he's gifted them to do so. So you might take this passage and, and instantly go like, wait a second, like what about the passages uh, with, with women not teaching men? Like how does that jive with this? What, what is Paul saying here? What is Luke showing us about the church and how the body is to function? And, and, and for some of you, like maybe you didn't think that, like maybe you, maybe never really thought about it because, um, because that's not your spiritual gifting. You're like, I'm not a woman, so I just didn't really think uh, about that. Um, so some, it hasn't been on your radar at all. And, and then others, I know you've thought tons about this, right? And, and you, you haven't just thought about it. You haven't just like read some blog posts about it. No, you've scoured the scriptures, the, the, the whole of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. You've, you've saturated yourself in, in what the word of God instructs, just really trying to understand uh, the whole counsel of God's word to better know how the body of Christ is, is to work together. And I know that, um, that for some in our church, like this is, this is a sore spot. There's a, there's a wound here. And, and, and for some that cuts really deep, right? And, and so for some of you, maybe that's from another church experience, but maybe uh, for others, that's actually from, from being here. And, and some it's from what has been said so it's from what hasn't been said or, or what has been done or what hasn't been done. And I know um, recently I've heard uh, 
just the lack of clarity on, on, on how, what Harvest believes uh, in this area, both men and women, how, how they're supposed to use their gifts in the church. That has left some people confused and, and hurt. And this is an area where I did spend some time uh, wrestling. If I'm, if I'm transparent, I spent some time wrestling, and I got stuck, man. Uh, eventually, I kind of threw my hands up in the air, looking at brilliant scholars, looking at godly church leaders, way more godly than me, way smarter than me, that, that land in all these different places, looking at the exact same passages. And, and while that's a reality, it, it doesn't mean that lacking clarity helps our body in any way. Uh, so leadership here at Harvest recognizes that it benefits our entire church to, to actually have this issue wrestled through and to, to land somewhere. Um, so I, I wanted to use Priscilla and Aquila here just to introduce this to you. This, uh, I mean, the sermon's almost done. It's not like we're going to talk a ton about this. Um, uh, I'm certainly not answering questions in this sermon today, but, but more so asking you to start wrestling with us, because there is work that needs to be done. Uh, our elder team, plus Matt Eldridge, Matt is somewhere, Matt's right there. He's going to join us in a meeting here in a few weeks. Matt's our youth pastor, but obviously does a hundred other things too. Um, and, and we're going we're gonna to get in a room together um, and, and, and share our current understanding, like our convictions, our, our, our questions, where things are clear for us, where things aren't so clear for us um, in this issue. So we're not walking out of the room like with a decision. Um, uh, we're, we just, we've added more elders over time in the midst of when we were kind of, at times we were working on this and at times we weren't because other things were going on. So we've added more elders and we just need to get in the same room together and, and, and talk and not defend our position, but certainly question one another and ask where we are. We're bringing in a facilitator that will help us like keep us focused and, and move forward. Um, and, and I'm excited about that because it'll allow me to be 100% participant and not have to worry about leading this meeting. Um, we've never done that before. We've never brought in someone from the outside before, but this is counsel that I received from multiple sources, both inside our church and outside our church. And I think it's gonna be well worth the cost. But another thing for, for you, is we also want to value and use the collective wisdom of our church body, which is something that, uh, man, I've dropped the ball on multiple times um, in the past several years. So we need to figure out some ways for the body to wrestle um, in the whole of Scripture uh, with us in this area. And, and some of you aren't interested in that, right? You've got other stuff that you're focused on and, and, and stuff that God's calling you to, and that's great. But I would ask you, would you pray at least? Uh, would you pray for wisdom, for our body, for leadership in this area? Others, I know you're excited. Uh, you have questions. You, you, you're ready to discuss. The most immediate thing is you can, you can grab someone in leadership and, and have a conversation. Go grab coffee or, or talk over the phone, um, or, or we can find some other way to do that. Um, but but we, we need to, we will come up with productive avenues for the body to participate in the wrestling of this. I don't have details on that. Um, but we need to come up with some concrete ways to really uh, use the manifold wisdom of our church people, right, that God has gifted us with in this. So there's more to be said. I'm sure there's things I forgot that I meant to say, but I want to end with this in, in, as we wrap up this final scene. A couple things that we see from both Apollos and uh, Aquila and Priscilla. And there's so much humility here demonstrated by all of them. There's love here. Um, first, we'll, we'll start with Aquila and Priscilla. Um, in some ways, they knew more than this new, talented, young evangelist. 
and yet they demonstrate such love, care, concern, grace, and humility with him, right? They, they didn't interrupt him. And as I said, they, they didn't call him out in front of others. Um, and, and it can be hard. Man, seeing a, like a young, talented person, half of them thinks I'm old, half of you think I'm young. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm right in the middle. Um, and I'll, I'll stay there as long as I can. Um, but if you are young, you might not appreciate how tricky it can be as you get older. And there's this hot shot, and I said that in a mean way, this young, talented person coming along. Uh, example, uh, a few years ago, I switched doctors. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't know why I switched. I didn't, even, I, just, I didn't even look at a picture. I just picked whatever doctor, right? Um, they walked in, and they were younger than me. And my brain had never considered that a doctor could be younger than me, right? Like I just always imagined somehow I'd find a doctor that aged more than I had at that point. So Aquila and Priscilla, man, they don't look down on him because he is young, right? They didn't blame him for what he didn't know. I suspect that they, they both remembered when they didn't know this thing that they were going to instruct him in. Scripture says knowledge puffs up. I find that to be especially true in the church. There can be so much arrogance that that we get as we gain more knowledge, as we do more studies, right? And we need to know the word. I'm not saying, hey, don't study the word. No, we need to know the word. But man, let's not be arrogant. All of us need to grow in humility, even when we know something. Apollos too, he's humble. And that can be rare when there's such talent in a young person. As you read about Apollos, you get this feeling that the people just could not wait to hear this man speak. Certainly if social media had existed, man, there'd be viral clips of him probably every couple weeks making the rounds. Paul even says in, in, in Corinthians, he says, some of you say, I follow Paul. Others say, I follow Apollos. And he, he would have been, if he, if he was here today, he probably would have been a celebrity pastor, and yet here he is being taught by two tent makers. Right? He's educated, he's respected, he's got a following, and yet he has no problem learning from two tent makers with no credentials and no following. And on top of that, I don't think we can underestimate what a big deal it could have been for a male taught by a female, not, not in 2023, but, but way back then. I remember... Uh, a young youth staff member talking to me after a Wednesday night youth group. And I, I think she phrased it in, in a question that went like this. I think she asked if I thought our teaching recently was too heavily focused on works. Um, and this is youth group back in the day. And man, it was, it was gentle. Uh, she was very humble. And, and I assume it could have been scary for her to come up and, and ask me that question. Certainly I'm no Apollos, but, but I was the one with with, with the title pastor. Uh, at that point, I had a couple degrees from Bible schools. And, and the whole conversation, it was, it was pretty short. Um, it, it wasn't quite said in passing. It was a little bit longer than that. And we interacted over it. And, 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 then, and then she just let the Holy Spirit work. And God used that moment for me. He used that moment for our group. It was, it was God's grace that the sister came to me uh, seeing something in our teaching that, that truly I needed help in. I had a blind spot. 
So this final chapter, or this final scene of 18, while it's just a, a, a tiny snapshot, what an important picture it is for the body of Christ, right? Both, both men and women contributing to the ministry of the word, right? God using this, this duo to teach Apollos who, who would have massive impact on the church. And I, don't, I don't know if we realize this, but uh, like Martin Luther, he, he thinks or he thought that uh, Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. And there are others that, that agree with Luther. And we don't know if that's true, but man, Apollos was a, a, a big, big deal. And, and, and way back in his early ministry days, this blue collar couple came to him and they didn't have the skill set that he had, but they were gifted by the Holy Spirit. They, were, they used their gifts right, to benefit the body of Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word, God. It is, it's just, it's crazy the access that we have to your word um, in, in this day and age, Lord. All of us probably have it on our phones with multiple Bibles in, in our houses, Lord. God, would we be people of your word? Would we love your word? And God, would we together as a church follow you in humility and love, Lord? Would we long to glorify you more than we long for anything else? And that's, that's not where we are, Lord. We confess that, that we, are, we are glory thieves. But Lord, would you change us more and more to be a people that, that long to glorify you, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen.